Welcome to another episode of the Green Minds podcast. My name is Desiree, and today's episode is part of a two-part series on mining critical minerals. Today, I speak with Tem Timorbat on the importance of the mining industry in the global economy, geopolitical complexities with China and the DRC, innovation opportunities along the mining value chain, and advice for entrepreneurs. Let's dive in. Welcome, Tim. It's a pleasure to have you on this podcast. To kick things off, would you just briefly describe your path to date and what led you to focus on mining innovation and investment? Yeah. Hi, everybody. This is Tim. I am based in Denver and I am the, the co-founder and managing partner of Nomadic Venture Partners. And Nomadic Venture Partners is an early stage climate tech VC firm investing in technologies that are decarbonizing mining, downstream manufacturing and transportation. And the reason why we wanted to focus on mining is just because naturally that's something that we actually know something about. I'm a, a mining engineer by training. I went to Colorado School of Mines, got my engineering degree there, worked as a mining engineer for a couple of companies, and then decided to switch my career into mining finance, where I was working for a firm called Resource Capital Funds, building copper projects, lithium, right, nickel, gold, and projects around the world. And, and that was something that I really enjoyed doing. Uh, but throughout my journey or my career, I realized how important this metals and mining sector was to the, 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 the energy transition, right? Many folks now realize that in order to, to address this climate crisis, right, we have to have this energy transition. But often don't realize that, in my opinion, the entire the fate of this, this energy transition or this movement is is unfortunately hanging by the single thread, and that's the, the, the metals and mining space. And so we actually call it the, the metals transition. It's, it's extremely important to, 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 to recognize the, the importance of this sector. And, and if we don't invest in this sector, in you know, all of our dreams and, and, and ambitions of achieving this energy transition might, you know, might be wasted. So, so that's why we got really passionate around metals and mining space. We're very bullish on the, the, the metals transition. And that's how we thought about our investment thesis. Great. So let's talk a little bit about your investment thesis. What opportunities do you currently see along the mining value chain? Yeah. So, so the the mining value chain is 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 quite expensive, right? Now it it starts from prospecting and exploring for mineral resources all the way down to closing the mine and reclaiming it right back to its natural sort of environment. And that that process is, is quite diverse, I want to say. And there are many different technical challenges within each one of those buckets. So I mean, you talk about prospecting, right? Exploration, then you develop a project. And once you develop a project, you put them into operation. And while you operate it for 10, 20 years, right? You have all kinds of challenges. And then once you're done, right? How do you think about closing and and you know reclaiming, and then, and then also these days, right? Deal with the the waste that that mining industry generates. But there's a lot that actually happens here. Now I'll just mention one thing. What we're focused on currently are addressing these high energy intensity activities in the mining sector. So you can think of, for instance, comminution, which is breaking big rocks into small rocks. And that activity or that exercise in itself is very energy intensive. I believe it's estimated that about 4% of the, the global electricity consumption is actually used to break big rocks into small rocks. Just imagine that, right? I mean, it's incredible 
how energy intensive that is, right? And it's necessary because in order to, to deliberate the, the valuable metals out of ore bodies, you have to crush them, you have to grind them, right? And then once it's 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 these you know, tiny particles, then you can use some kind of a, a mineral processing technology to extract the, the valuable metals out of it. But along this process, right, we end up using lots of energy and a lot of the energy is, is actually dependent on fossil fuels. So we're very much focused on currently addressing that sector and then trying to find technologies. Now, if you take a step back and look at our thesis, we are interested in these kinds of novel, new ways of mining, new ways of processing technologies, as well as also digital solutions that help mines become more productive and efficient. I think that's excellent. And I want to take a step back and look at the broader venture capital sphere in mining. And I just want to understand the argument for using venture capital financing for some of these companies that are working on projects that take 10, 15 plus years to actually reach uh, production. And so I would love to hear a little bit more about the argument for using venture capital financing to fund some of these companies along the value chain? Yeah, it's a great question. I think when you think about innovation, right, it really starts at the at the early stages. So think of, you know, universities, right, where PhDs working on some kind of a, a technology or maybe some engineers proving out a, out a concept in a lab. And many of these endeavors are are not typically funded by the mining companies. In fact, I'm embarrassed to say this, but <laughs> mining is one of the 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 least innovative sectors. And if you look at how much they actually spend on research and development, it's less than 1% of their their, their uh, gross revenue. And if you compare that to other sectors like pharmaceuticals, right, it's like many multiples larger than that, right? So so just to, to, to have that as a background, right, it is an industry that historically have not spent a lot of money on, on new technologies, right? Mining haven't really experienced the step change technological sort of a disruption for, for decades. So inherently, right, there's this funding gap. And and we see that we see that as a as an opportunity to actually tap into as a venture capitalist. And I think others are now realizing that. But if you just pause for a second and zoom out, right, this climate tech investing opportunity is, is also much bigger than the mining sector itself, right? I believe that the International Energy Agency have estimated that about $40 trillion of investment, you know, would need to go into climate tech space by 2052 to really have the world achieve this net zero. So opportunistically, I think it, it makes a lot of sense for, for venture capitalists, especially early stage venture capitalists, because, because very few people are actually invest, you know, in those kinds of proof of concepts or, or ideas that are being incubated at a university, which hopefully in a few years time will be commercial enough that, that many of these mining companies will use. And then the other thing is, is right, we surveyed the, the space, right? Who's actually investing in, in mining? There are many climate tech VC firms out there. I believe somebody said that there are more than 800 of these investors, most of them are generalists, and only a few are dabbling into, into mining. So from our perspective, we saw that as an opportunity to, to really yeah, emerge in this, this space and then drive innovation at the early stages. So it's great that we talked about the importance of the mining industry 
in fueling the transition to a low-carbon economy. And we also talked about why venture capitalists should be focusing on investing in companies here. But I want to take a step back again and talk about some of the myths of the mining industries. A lot of people have seen some of the news that has occurred in the past talking about how mining is so unsustainable, there's a lot of ethics issues, and essentially mining is not good for the environment. But I want to ask you to talk about some of the myths that you think need to be dispelled in this market. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. Actually, mining is one of the oldest sectors in the world, right? People have been working with tools, right? People have been working, I mean, making very crude, you know, tools out of, out of, you know, metals and, and, and making alloys together to, to, to find a better, you know, higher strength sort of tools and, and things like that. And, and, and that sort of a perception is stuck or that image is stuck in people's minds, right? People think that we use, you know, shovels and pickaxes to, to, to mine, right? Use, use burrows or donkeys, right? <laughs> so it's a haul. Or and and we don't mine anymore, right? I think that's the the misconception that I, I maybe I, I could address is, is right. People assume that we don't mine anymore. It's been sort of done in the past, and we don't do that anymore, right? But but that's not actually true at all. We mine a lot, and 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 it is quite essential. Everything that one sees, if you just you know look around your room today, right? Anything that that catches your eye is either grown or mine, right? It's so essential and and they're basically in, in every part of our, our lifestyles. So that's something that people don't realize. And then because of that misconception or, or lack of realization, right? People have these understandings that are, are, are untrue. One of the things that I always try to talk about is, is how important it is. And, and, and the best way to do that is, is just bring it home, right? We all have cars. We all use computers and cell phones, right? And, and now these days, right, we're trying to increase the, the, the capacity of, of renewable energy sources from solar panels, wind turbines, and things like that, or even batteries and EVs, right? All of them use metals. All of them use critical minerals. And, and it's incredible how essential they are. And, and it's sometimes difficult to, to admit that <laughs> they're, they're part of our lives. Often people assume that, that you know, electrons just you know, come out of <laughs> our, our outlets, right? Without traveling on a copper wire or, or electrons, right? Trans, being transmitted or transported over aluminum wires and copper wires, right? So, so I think that's something that 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 we try to also, you know, help you know the public understand is is how essential it is. I'll just give you one quick stat that might be interesting. Every American barn today in their entire lifetime will use about three billion pounds of metals and minerals. Three million. Three million pounds. I mean, that's incredible. The EVs today, right? That 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 we are buying use six times more metals and minerals than a conventional internal combustion engine cars, right? So think about that, right? So so as we're moving towards this energy transition, right, trying to achieve net zero and address climate the climate crisis, we're all of a sudden increasing our demand for these metals and and, and minerals. So, so while mining might seem like archaic or a thing of the past and we've forgotten about it, the importance, I think, is it's becoming more and more as time goes on. Wow. I mean, that statistic is, is massive and it's just really great to contextualize the relevance of the mining industry in our daily lives. Something that I've seen in the past couple of months come up again and again is 
a continued decrease in CapEx investment in the mining industry for some time, which has really important implications for the industry given some of the challenges that it's facing right now. So maybe you can take a stab at what you think are some of the most important challenges this industry is going to be facing over the next couple of years and also would love to hear your perspectives on some of the critical challenges that are preventing, let's say, output or preventing efficiency in mining operations. Yeah, I think the there are so many challenges. What do I begin? There are so many technical challenges. I think we've discussed, right? Making mineral discovery is getting harder and harder, right? There's There are some studies that people have done and sort of estimated that the, the odds of making a discovery is I think one in like 3000 or something like that, right? That, that probability is just continuing to get lower and lower. And then you've just mentioned the, the, the issue of, of productivity and the lack of efficiency in this, in this sector. I think if you look at history, I think mining companies and the mine sites themselves have been really been good at driving efficiency, right? Driving productivity. But I think at this point, we're now reaching this asymptotic limit, right? Like you can only, you know, you can only squeeze so much out of a certain asset, right? Until you fundamentally change things. Right. The reason why we have these big mines with you know big pieces of equipment is because of, because economies of scale, right? You can you know, reduce your operating cost by moving large quantities. But I think that's at this point in, in, in today's day and age have reached this this theoretical level or, or limit that that in our opinions will require some really interesting, creative, and imaginative ways to to tackle. And and I believe as a technologies that like you know many of these technologies that we're looking at and are going to be investing in will help address that. But I think what's most difficult is the issues around ESG. You know, many people don't want to allow mining companies to build more mines, right? Especially not in their own backyards. So we have this dilemma, right? Like we need to buy or, or make these EVs, right? We need to install more solar panels and wind turbines. How do we do that without building the mines, right? And then, and, and then that's a very interesting dilemma that, that the industry has been dealing with. And as time have progressed, I think the issues around ESG, especially the social issues, more than the environment these days, have become so controversial and so intense that, that right, oftentimes many of these great projects aren't being built because there's just too much opposition around them. I'll just give you one one statistic on this. I read a few months ago that that most of the, and this is like 80-90% of all the nickel, copper, cobalt, and lithium resources in the in the US are actually located within 35 mile radius from Native American reservations. So that inherently means, right, we have to work with these groups to to get their consent. And, and there's this phenomenon or, or there's this practice in, in the industry called social license to operate. And you have to you have to obtain this social license to operate before you can actually you know start construction on a on a mining project. And 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 when we need these metals, right, lithium, nickel, cobalt and copper and graphite, right? It automatically means if you're going to build a mine in the U.S., you have to consult, you have to get their consent, you have to, you know, build a mine that's going to be not only environmentally friendly but also acceptable to these communities, right? And that 
takes time, right? Because you can't just say, hey, I've consulted with you for, for, for a whole year. Now you give me <laughs> a you know, social license to operate. It doesn't work like that, right? It needs, people need to build trust, right? And building trust takes time. And, 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 and we're working with people and that's inherently very challenging, right? So how do we think about building projects in a very sustainable manner is, is the biggest question. So I think companies like us, right, we're thinking about these new and novel way of doing things because typically I think you've mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that that mines take anywhere from you know 10 to 15 years to build right and a lot of that also is 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 focused on on getting a permit but we have to build these mines so how do we shorten that time period right is is really challenging and and we don't we certainly don't want to sacrifice the the consultation right or the stakeholder engagement with these sensitive communities. So, so it's, it's a very difficult one. You know, if you have a technical problem, you can solve it with technology, right? But oftentimes the the social problems are very, very challenging. So I actually don't know, but I think I think if you imagine the, the mind of the future, right, being very out of sight, I guess, right? And invasive, right? Don't create a lot of noise, dust, right? People couldn't see, right? If, if, you, if you focus on methods that don't use any water, put any strain on, on the environment, Right. Hopefully, people will see that as a as a as a as a new sort of you know way to to mine and and get behind the idea that that this climate crisis is a real challenge and and we need these metals and and we now have a you know better way to extract them. I want to now talk about the geopolitical complexities countries are facing regarding mineral supply chains. We have the IRA, which is trying to bring critical mineral supply chains back to U.S. soil. But then we also have the counter movement supported by citizens saying that they don't want to have all these, let's say, dirty mines in their states and cities. And so there are so many implications of this push and pull between these these groups and then we also have less developed countries like the DRC, which have huge reserves of these minerals. And now all of these bad mining practices that are damaging to the environment and health of citizens and people working in these mines. And so there's a lot to make sense of and would love to get your perspectives on how we should make sense of these complexities and what it means for the mining industry and, and mining output in general. Yeah, that's a really interesting question, and and it's it's one that I've been pondering about for a while now. Yeah, and and there are different arguments. I think you know some people argue that you know while people don't want to build mines in places like the U.S. and Canada, if you compare the the environmental standards, we actually have one of the higher standards or highest standards in the world, right? So if you if we have to mine, wouldn't you want to be mining in a in a place that actually have a better environmental standards, right? So so there are a group of people which I I agree with, right? I think I think we need to if we're going to mine certain volume of whatever, right? It's better to be mined in a place where the standards are higher and we're actually going to be think of all the risks and and then try to do it in a way that's most sustainable compared to anyone else in the world, right? I'm not saying that's the gold standard. I'm just saying relatively speaking right? It's going to be better if we do it in a, in a place like the U.S. But that said, though, right, who are we to say, <laughs> right, to the, the, the Republic of Congo, you know, how to, you know, mine or how to 
you know, run their country, right? It's, 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 it's difficult. And they're also trying to build their own nation, right? I mean, I, I, I can, I can, I know this because I'm actually originally from Mongolia and it's a country that's heavily dependent on natural resources. And, and one of the biggest, you know, commodities that they mine and export is, is coal, right? So apparently I have this challenge, right? I'm trying to address climate change here, but then, you know, my relatives are working in, well, I'm not, not, not my direct relatives, but, but you know, Mongolians in Mongolia are, are working in coal mines, right? To, to mine and, 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 and sell it to, to China. But, but it's, it's a very challenging issue because that's how they, I mean, the coal mine in Mongolia is, is basically the, or one of the, the, the big economic engines in the country, right? And the country itself is trying to, you know, get people out of poverty, really, right, focus on some of these very pressing issues. And unfortunately, climate change is not on their, you know, top 20, right, list, right? So, so you get this very interesting dynamic. And, and then also you have these countries, right, who have extensive control over certain critical minerals. I think China's is, is, is basically the only, at this point, of refined and processed elements and that's something I think that that was mentioned also in the in the IRA, IRA bill is is that that my understanding is is that the bill is trying to basically develop a, a a better domestic right supply chain of these important minerals in this country because the US is so dependent and relying on China for things that go into advanced weaponry or, or, or technologies that help us, right? Achieve the decarbonization. So you have these like multiple sort of nations, right? Having very different agendas and not necessarily all working towards the same goal. So it's very difficult, I think. I wanna say though, right? I think the, the intention of the IRA is really good in that, right? I hope that many of the, that the requirements will, will drive domestic supply of of rare earth elements, domestic refining of, of, of these minerals. But it's going to take time, right? We just touched on how long it takes to build the mine, right? We may not have that time, unfortunately. And that's the, the challenge. You know, we couldn't wait, you know, 15 years to build a single mine, right? So what, what that means from my perspective is, is I think our government needs to focus on reforming the, the, the permitting process, right? That doesn't mean we need to be relaxing the rules, right? I think we need to be thinking about the permitting process and make some improvements where, where necessary. So hopefully we can speed up the process such that 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 we can actually, you know, develop these assets here in the US. So I don't know if I answered your question, but I think ultimately what I'm trying to say is, is it's very complex and challenging. And I think around the world we will certainly have winners and losers, right? That's just call a spade a spade. <laughs> right. I think I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens. And some of the the chatter you, you hear in the in the in, in the world around how to address you know who needs to mine these critical minerals battery right metals is really interesting and, and one thing that I don't want to touch too much on but I just want to highlight is seabed mining and and the implications the environmental implications right and then also what you might have seen with respect to governments like Canada and France right coming out and saying we're going to ban seabed mining. Like, what does that mean, right? I think there's very interesting things ongoing in addition to just environmental impacts that they care about, but there are also some geopolitical interests that are being conflicted. 
and 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 they're having to you know take a position that's you know creating some some cause in the in the, uh, the market. I want to drill down on the question of security for critical mineral supply. As you mentioned, China controls so much of the mining supply chains for many technologies, including renewables. And so I would love to talk a little bit more about potentially how you see China's role changing over the next couple of years, given some of these initiatives from other countries like the U.S. with the IRA bill to secure these supply chains due to the relevance for security. If you look at what China has been doing for the past, I want to say 20 years, they've been, they've been very strategic, right? One of yeah. the things that that they do so well is just that, that they have this long-term vision, right? It's not that we don't didn't have the same or share the same vision, right? We did, but just didn't have the same sort of a long-term commitment. Mm-hmm. And, and if you look at, let's just take red earth elements, for example, mm-hmm. they do have red earth element, like deposits and resources and mines, right? But, but if you look at where else do we have these mines across the world, right? Like China is not the, the only place, right? That, that have these mines. And they knew that, right? They knew that many, many years ago. And, and they said, okay, we're starting to see the importance of, of these minerals. And, and they, they took this view that in order for us to, to really become the power, right? Dictating and, and leading in this space is mm-hmm. by building this capacity around refining uh, and processing of these critical minerals. And they did that. And, and, and if you look at now, right, they're the right biggest producer and refining a refiner in the world when it comes to these critical elements and their minerals. And they had that vision many years ago and and they've been slowly buying up assets right slowly building their own capacity right slowly you know doing deals and and then today right everybody relies on uh, on china right so you couldn't really fault them right and say well that was not good right like maybe it's you know it's certainly not good when when the u.s has to rely on them and depend on them right but but why couldn't we have done the same thing right why couldn't any other countries have done the same thing right so that's not a, it's not about China, right? Doing this, it's I think about us not being able to meet, right, at the at the same pace. So unfortunately, the situation is is it is what it is today. And I think I think what at least the U.S. government is trying to do now, sort of understanding this dynamic, is is right. They're trying to build up our own capacity here domestically because it is a national security issue, right? So yeah. The IRA was was great in that that it's it's one lever to pull, but unless unless right more capital is actually deployed, right, unless you know we talked about the, the permitting reform right or, or or having to streamline some of these processes such that instead of you know taking twelve years to build a mine maybe we can you know cut that down by half or something right like unless we do something that's drastically different and then and then encouraging these early stage companies and technologies to look into you know, different ways to process them. I don't think we're going to make, unfortunately, a meaningful step towards right regaining that, that or at least maybe not regain, but at least balance out the, the power dynamic in, you know, in that, in that you know, set of commodities. In my opinion, one of the best ways that the government can support is, is, is really deploy capital, like non-dilutive financing to these early stage companies more and more so, right? If you look at some of the companies that are now right, really appreciating or, or benefiting from some of the, the, you know, the, the hundreds of millions of dollars that they're deploying in, in, in the form of loans are mature companies who 
at saw this vision 10 years ago and they were continuing to build the project up until now, right? It was very fortuitous for them to, to have the IRA be passed and now they can access some of these really competitive loan programs. But what about those ones that are that we're trying to encourage, right? We haven't seen much talked about in that space. Haven't seen much funding going into early stage startups. So I think I think if the government can can allocate additional capital, really right, doing this you know grassroots work, I think that's going to pay off, right? Just the same way that 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 China right had this vision, you know, 20, 30 years ago to to build up this capacity. We almost have to have the same long term vision, you know, while we're also encouraging those projects that are just coming online. So I think I think at the end of the day, it's it's just simple competition, right? Like who wants it? Who wants this the most? Who wants it <laughs> so badly, right? And, and what are the steps to take? And 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 you know, it's one thing to talk about others, but there's so much we can do here to to take action. Unless we do that, right? It's meaningful to point fingers at China and saying, hey, you're a bad big wolf, you know, taking advantage of the situation. <laughs> Exactly. This is especially important given the funding that the U.S. government has set aside for mining. I mean, just look at the ARPAE grant they did. And while the recent announcement of, you know, the $450 million to deploy clean tech projects on mine lands is great, it's still such a small part of the puzzle. It's it's really just a fraction. I'm not trying to plug, you know, <laughs> our firm and the, the important work we're doing, but but now that's exactly why we started this this firm, right? Because yeah. we saw this funding gap, mm-hmm. and, and how are we going to actually achieve all these great, you know, grand vision and, and goals if you don't actually deploy capital where it needs the most? And that's why we're that's you know that's why we exist, and that's why we think that that continuously, uh, you know, more I mean, we're encouraging other people, right, to continuously look at this space and 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 get involved and 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 yeah. Uh, investment and if we have the opportunity to to voice our sort of you know, opinions and views and express that to the 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 uh, the, the 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 powers be it right the, the people who mm-hmm. actually come up with these policies and, and legislate i think i think we need to do more of that and ultimately you know that top-down policy change is really gonna in my opinion have the most mm-hmm. uh, and the quickest sort of impact to, to really scale and and, and grow the space I want to circle back on the comment you made about permitting. As you said, permitting is a huge influencing factor in timeline length for getting mines into operation in the United States, for instance. And I know that you might not be the expert on permitting and permitting reform, but would love to learn from your own experience and expertise when you were working in mining operations. What were some of the permitting improvements that you saw that could potentially shorten the time to get a mine into operation? I think the the biggest one is is just having a straightforward process. I think uh, so. Let me just take one example. This was a project that that or an investment that I was managing when I was with my previous firm, and this was a project that we were trying to build. It wasn't in in, in the U.S., but it was in Canada. And and they had gone through a process that was, I guess, it was a new process that they they came up with, right? I don't, I forget that this was like six or seven years ago when they did come up with this new process. And this project was the first one to go through this process, and it was extremely difficult because it, basically this project was the, the the guinea pig, right? Testing all the 
the the the intricacies of the process. And in fact, it was it was so difficult because it was so opaque to us that we ended up submitting the permit three times. And, and these are like massive reams of documents, right? Like have all kinds of, you know, baseline studies, environmental baseline studies, have all kinds of consultation records that we, you know, completed in the prior years with local communities, right? Local municipalities, as well as First Nation groups that were affected. And and you know, having documented all these things and and done a, in, our, in our view a very very robust assessment of all the risks and and also put in some mitigants to to address them, they kept getting kicked back, and, and that was really unfortunate because it you know every time they you know say hey look you're missing so and so or X Y Z right go back and work on it like you know that's good, right? If, if they tell you what's actually missing, or if they tell you how to actually address some of these deficiencies in the application, it's good. But oftentimes, it was very difficult to understand exactly what they needed, exactly how to mitigate it. And 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 it's also very challenging for some of these early stage companies, right? As they grow, right? From a junior explorer trying to develop a project to, to then becoming an operator, that journey for that company itself is also very interesting because right people are also having to learn these new processes but in my, in my opinion the company actually had a, had done a really good job but but because the, the process was so different and sorry because the process was so new it was really difficult to understand and get clarity into how the process actually would unfold and and i guess one of the, the ways that that i think can be you know similar here in the us is is right, having a very you know straightforward process and and explaining right how long it takes for a company to collect comments, right? Like actually say that, I think that's actually prescribed in there. But then what happens when another group actually interjects and says, well, actually these comments are invalid because, because it didn't cover all the, 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 the stakeholders, right? And then all of a sudden that I can actually create some, some legal battles, litigations that would say, well, hold on a second, right? You can't go to the next step because now we're gonna come in and 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 litigate this because it doesn't seem like it was done in a way that was proper. So therefore, right now we're in litigation, which is a completely different process, which can take much longer on its own. So I think I think there are, from my understanding, I think there are many of these little outs that that people can use as tactics to to slow down projects. And some sometimes it's it's good because people have legitimate concerns and 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 they do want to interject right but then oftentimes you see groups who have ulterior motives or, or different agenda who don't want any mining at all for all kinds of reasons they'll use this tactic right to, to really slow down and it can be very capital draining us and oftentimes you, you you have a project you know get caught in, in, in these legal battles for for years and these companies, right, don't have the, the the resources to fight some of these battles for four or five years, and they give up and they go bankrupt. So I think overall the process is good, and it, it needs to be improved in certain areas. But yeah, to my sort of realization, I think those two are probably the the, the ones that you know come to mind at this moment. I'm sure this is so much more complex, so much more nuanced than 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 I understand it, but. But, but, you know, based on my conversations uh, with folks who are intimately involved, right, those two are the, 
the areas that that they care about. Wow, it sounds like getting a mine into operation definitely requires the ultimate level of stakeholder management to really manage all of these different types of interests and viewpoints. And so as it's crucially important to the development of a mine, but also incredibly hindering, there are some important implications for mining output and getting that supply needed to meet the, the demand for critical minerals. Yeah, stakeholder engagement is is paramount, right? I think it goes back to building trust, right? People aren't going to give you their consent or the communities aren't going to support your, your project, right? If you don't earn their trust, right? And that trust isn't earned on day one, right? If you just show up and say, hey, look, like I'm going to build this mine. We're going to create 200 jobs in your community, right? Good paying jobs and, and you'll, you'll benefit. Like that's not enough these days, right? I think that might have worked 30 years ago, but but I think today you really have to to demonstrate that that you're you're you truly care about the long term sustained wealth creation for these communities, right? It's not just like I'm gonna mine this deposit that's nearby your community. It's gonna take us 10 years to do it, right? We're gonna get rich. You're gonna get rich too. But what's gonna happen after this mine is reclaimed and 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 mined and reclaimed and the company's moved on, right? What happens to that community, right? That community cannot all of a sudden turn into one of these ghost towns that we've seen in movies, right? So how do you think about this long-term sustained right, wealth creation for 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 those who are affected, right? This stewardship or idea around stewardship this is something that I think mining companies would have to really embrace and 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 an exercise. And it's not just right like the box exercise, right? Yeah, I've talked to a hundred people, right, for this many hours during this period, right? It's not a, it's not a, a, an exercise that, that they see, not that they need to just, you know, do it to get people to, to, to support you. I think it's really about building trust and then actually designing these projects such that, right, you can actually leave something behind. I think more and more companies are now considering building their own, for instance, power, you know, small power plant on site instead of actually, you know, just drawing power from the, the, the network and i guess the idea behind that is is right what if we can leave an asset that's actually long dated right can last or or be there for 20 30 years that we can actually give back to the community once we're we're gone right could they actually use that to continue to generate economic benefits for them and then the other thing that i actually really like in in canada that that people or companies are required to do not required but i think they, they have gotten really used to doing is, is what's called impact benefit agreement or IBAs. And, and these agreements are actually negotiated ahead of the project, right? Submitting their permits, mining and environmental permits. And, 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 it, and, and some of the better companies are really clever and they actually come up with, with really interesting and creative ways to, to share economics back with. It's not just like employing people, but, but they're actually giving, you know, free carry interest, <laughs> In, in projects, right, and 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 giving them the decision to or the power to to make decisions, right, for the companies participate at least, right, in that decision making process and have some control, right, because ultimately people want to be informed, they want to be empowered, right, they also want to be in control because this is their 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 resources. So so there are some really interesting ways to not just focus on on employment opportunities, education opportunities. 
but also give them some power to to really you know come up with interesting ideas and one thing that they that is actually quite common in Canada I think is setting up these trust I guess funds right anyway so there's a lot that I think other countries are actually doing really a good job of that and that others could learn it sounds like Canada is doing something great and I would also love to continue learning more about all the permitting all the regulations and everything that goes into getting a mine into operation but I also want to circle back to a topic that you briefly mentioned which is extending or repurposing the mine itself and some of the waste that the mine is producing and would love to get your thoughts on the potential of repurposing. Yeah, so just quickly, how we think about meeting this fine demand gap for for these battery metals and, and critical minerals is, I guess, threefold, right? The first one is, is it takes forever to, to build these mines, right? So we're not going to be able to make meaningful achievements if we just focused on right the status quo assuming that it's going to take 15 years to build a mine, right? I don't think that's going to work anymore. So how do we think about extracting more metals is, is really focusing on the existing projects, existing mines that are producing, right? And, and we've talked about increasing their efficiencies and productivities and mainly through digital solutions. So that's one core strategy for us. The second core strategy that we have is, is we also talked about right, investing in these novel and new ways of, of, of mining or mining methods, right? And processing and refining technologies to really imagine the mine of the future so that we can maybe build that mine in, in two years rather than 12 years. But the third lag is, is exactly what you pointed out, which is the circularity idea, right? We need to, well, first reduce our consumption levels, but secondly, we have to reuse and recycle much of these waste that, that, that the industry generates. On an annual basis, mining, I think, generates 72 billion tons of, of waste. And just because it's labeled waste, it, it doesn't mean it has no value. Oftentimes, there's a concept that many people in the mining industry will be familiar with is, is, is an economic cutoff grade or cutoff grade. So when you're mining an ore body, if a ton of rock don't have you know, more than a certain percentage of the, the metals you're after, it's deemed uneconomic because by the time you spend money to, to process it and extract the, 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 the metals out of it, right? You'll be at a loss, right? So oftentimes miners will label that as a, as a waste and then set it aside. And, and people have been doing that for decades. But now some companies are actually going back and, and remining on these waste piles because the cutoff grade 20 years ago was a lot higher than, than, than it is today. Because of rising commodity prices in today's environments, many of these piles actually are now economic. So there are companies now reprocessing their waste to extract the, the metals out of it. And that also deals with the, the potential you know, discharge issues, right? You can have acid water that it, this pile could be generating and could be seeping into the, 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 the rivers and, and then water basin. So not only are they extracting value, but they're also taking care of a problem that's been a legacy for, for maybe this company or this community for, for decades, right? So that's really interesting because, because there's there's tons of value and, and it makes financial and economic sense, but also it makes a lot of sense in terms of, of addressing the, the environmental problems that they've left behind. What we've been also seeing more of lately is, is companies and also startups and they are focusing on Treating tailings facilities or tailing storage facilities also has lots of metal value, creates huge issue, like safety issue for 
communities that live nearby or are downstream of these storage facilities. I'm sure you've heard of the case of the Bermudino, Bermudino mine in, in Brazil, as well as Mount Pauli in, in Canada, British Columbia, Canada. And, and these facilities have significant safety risks associated with it. Many of these dams right, could fail anytime and, and, and companies are now looking at addressing problems at the same time. I actually ran into a couple of companies who are now, not only are they thinking about the safety, the potential liability, Right. And also thinking about extracting metals out of it. But in addition to all those three, they're actually thinking about sequestering CO2 back into the, the tailings. So so that's a really interesting idea. I think more and more people will continue to study that and we'll come up with really interesting technologies to to yeah, scale that. I'm very hopeful that you know becomes commercial and the way to do things things in a few years. Well hoping hopefully in a few years, but we'll see. The intersection of mining and CDR is a field that I am particularly passionate about and interested in, so it's great that you mentioned this, and I hope that these companies that are working in mine tailing mineralization will achieve lots of commercial success given the potential of gigaton removal of this methodology. And I also want to talk more about reducing risk and liability of not only the mine tailing waste, but also how we can reduce risk at every step of the mining value chain. But let's say you take exploration out of this and focus on the rest of the mining value chain. How can we reduce risk here? And what are the methodologies that you see a lot of potential in? Yeah, so I'll go back to the example that we talked about. There's one company that that we looked at and, and are still very interested in, in supporting is, is what they're doing is they're, they're looking at extracting copper out of copper concentrates, right? So the typical way to produce copper from copper concentrates is to send it to a smelter and they'll smelt it and they'll give you a copper, right? But typically these concentrates are concentrates have about 20% copper in the 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 the, the, the material. And the remaining 80% roughly is waste, right? And how we're thinking about it is, is not only is this technology that we're interested in replaces or provides this alternative to smelting, right? By extracting copper in some other alternative way without having to smelt it. So you can save tons of, I mean, incredible amount of, you know, CO2 emissions by, by doing it in this very environmentally friendly way. We're thinking about if we can actually test this technology on things that aren't grinded and 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 milled down to that small particle size, right? Can we actually go up the value chain? Can we actually apply this technology on potentially just broken ore, right? Blasted broken ore could we could we extract maybe not 100% of the the copper that's in the rock, but but you do this analysis like because it is so expensive and energy intensive to to crush, grind, and and mill, right? What if we go up the value chain? Could we? Right, cut a lot of these emissions up the value chain just by applying this technology. So that's something that that's been really interesting to, to at least think about. And and hopefully, you know, many of these companies that we're seeing will continue to do those kinds of tests, such that you instead of instead of you know generating lots of waste, right, you can go to the source source and say, okay, maybe we'll do this in in situ, right? You actually instead of mining and taking the the ore body out of the ground on the ground, crush it, right? And and process it. Maybe you can do it in 
in, in situ underground. And that's something that I think people have been really intrigued by and have been working on for, for a long time. I know there was another company many years ago that I ran into that had developed the technology to basically leach the copper that's in the ground. And, and the technology at the time, in my opinion, wasn't fully commercial, but, but it showed a lot of potential because if you could do that, then all of a sudden you don't create any anyways, because you're not mining these things and bringing them up to the surface, right? So the, the seabed thing, I think you've mentioned, right? That's another one quite interesting. Supposedly, right, these polymetallic nodules that are attached to the, the bottom of the ocean are highly concentrated. So if you mine these things, I mean, forget all the, I mean, this is very oversimplification, simplification, right? And, and assumes no risk is associated with it, which <laughs> is obviously not true. But but assuming, right, you could mine these things environmentally in a very environmentally safe manner, effectively you're you're mining an ore body that's highly concentrated and it doesn't create or it creates very little waste. So so I think those are some interesting ideas to think about because I think addressing waste once it's been generated is 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 not enough these days, right? You have to think about how to treat the waste or how to even reduce the waste before you get into the mining activities. So I think that's something that the we're, we're we're trying to emphasize more on and 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 try to find technologies that inherently don't create any waste. But if they do, then at least they have a plan on mitigating it or doing something you know valuable with it. I would love to dig a little deeper into how you envision pre and post mining operational risk changing in the next couple of years and what ways you see these risks affecting the production of these battery metals and critical minerals? That's a, that's a good question. I think, so water discharge permit is something that, that mines need before they can become an operation, right? Because typically you know, they're drawing water from nearby water resources and they cannot just like evaporate that into the air, right? They, they have to treat it and, and make sure it has no heavy metals or, or anything that could be damaging to the, the biodiversity once they release it. And they, they, they do release or discharge some of these treated water back into the, the environment. But oftentimes, one of the risks that some of these companies face with, I guess just two things I'll mention, but one is, is before you go into an operation, right, EPA gives you a limit like on all the, the metals that, that you, or you have to treat and, and clean and, and, and extract you know, out of the water before you can discharge it. And there are limits, right? Like so and so many you know, PPM concentration, right? You're not allowed to cross that threshold. So if, you know, if this water has a little bit of selenium, right? It cannot exceed a certain PPM concentration. If it does, it can be really bad for the, the fisheries down the, 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 the stream, right? So there are some limits, and I think what's happening is is more countries and 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 countries like Canada and the U.S. are are tightening the, in my opinion, tightening the 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 requirements around these concentration limits, meaning like they're actually lowering or thinking about lowering where to a point where technically sometimes you cannot actually you know pull enough of these elements out of the water before you can you can discharge. So that becomes a challenge, a technical challenge, and hopefully people will solve that, right? But that also means you can basically completely kill a project, right? Because maybe there's no technology to do that today, right? So all of a sudden, right, the best available technology on the market can only right, reduce the, the concentration down to a certain PPM or PPB, right? <laughs> Parts per billion. And, and if it doesn't meet the, the, 
the, the regulatory requirement, that means you cannot get a permit. You cannot get a water discharge permit. Therefore, you won't be able to build your mine, right? So there are some risks like that that could, you know, creep into the sector and 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 really buy many of these projects. The second one is is, is existing, right, assets where maybe they've done they're, they're, you know, they've done mining maybe you know 20 years ago. Now they have the site that they have to remediate and to continuously treating the water, and that's a risk that they they also have to 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 deal with, right? Because because you already have this asset. It's one thing you can one thing to say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to develop this asset because today there's no technology to be able to meet the the standards. But if you already have a legacy site, what do you do, right? And that's a, that's also a very big big issue. So I think based on the last few months of conversation that I had with some of these founders, I actually came across a couple of really interesting water treatment companies that are trying to to extract more of these, you know, heavy metals out of water before it can be discharged. So I'm really hopeful that that they can, you know, prove out these technologies, commercialize them at a mass sort of a scale that that all of a sudden not only many of these legacy sites can can continue to to, to improve their efficiency and 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 then remove these metals and then discharge water that's even more clean, but also allow many of these projects to all of a sudden go ahead and, and proceed. So we talked a lot about different gaps within the mining industry and areas that you find needs more research. Is there anything else that you want to mention or talk about that you're like, okay, more people need to be talking about this? I think one of the other things that people don't you know, seem to also realize is is the importance of talent. And maybe we can quickly talk about that. I think every sort of a <laughs> company, you know, in, in today's day and age are, are struggling with retaining, right? And hiring good, good people, right? To begin with. And then, and I want to say hire, right? Retain those people. And I think mining is one of those industries that's badly, badly like impacted by that. And I, I don't think people actually realize how significant that issue is. When we're talking about all of these like mine of the future, let's do it in a more sustainable way, right? But who's gonna do it is is the biggest question, right? Like mining, you know, has this perception which we talked about that that many young folks, right, dislike it and and, and they don't want to get into mining, but oftentimes they don't have the right information to begin with the correct information to begin with to, to realize how one important and essential it is and also how intellectually very challenging and fulfilling you know job it is to to be part of this this sector and the challenge i'll just maybe frame it in this way many of the mining schools in the world are, are seeing this decline in in enrollment right people who are studying mining engineering right My, uh, studying geology, geotechnical engineering. Right? These are like key subjects that need to be studied, but but enrollment at these schools, I mean, some schools are closing because right, they don't have enough people or kids right, studying. I remember this is many years ago when I was a student. When we graduated, our graduating class was only 12, 12 people. <laughs> and I don't think it's gotten any better since... <laughs> 12 people 12 wow. people that's um, insane yeah so so the generation before us i think had gone through this i guess valley right where people weren't really interested in 
and and, I, and same with our generation and, and i think it's getting worse right with with the younger generation so what's happening is is right all of these institutional knowledge right that many of these mining companies had aren't going to be passed down right many of these baby boomer you know generation workers are going to be retiring i mean effectively they're retiring now right so who is going to actually replace them is a huge question mark right and there are actually industry folks who are worried about the 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 quality of the workers who are going to be taking over these operations right instead of seeing or instead of having a chief mining engineer or or mining manager or mine manager with 20 years of experience you're not going to have those anymore right? you're going to have people who have three or five years of experience being a chief engineer for an entire operation right and you're going to have people in their 30s managing a mine right and 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 you know they're going to make mistakes right because just because of lack of experience lack of institutional knowledge that 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 they could make i mean they're going to have significant challenges and this industry right i mean that's that's as it is today but if this industry is to grow like we're talking about right how right in order to meet these demands for these critical minerals so we have to build three to four hundred mines over the next decade right well that means we need more people and unfortunately we don't have the 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 pipeline of talent that um is going to replace those who are retiring right now. So, so it's it's a real problem that that I think are flying sort of under the radar, and and, and many in, in the the downstream industries just assume that that there are people to actually <laughs> design and build these mines in a very I mean I mean forget the like the the whole sustainability and in the mine of the future idea right I mean just to even you know, build the ones that, that we know how to have to build today. They're already struggling with, with talent. So maybe on this point, what I always like to do whenever somebody asks me this question is I always encourage people to, to look into mining and learn. You don't have to go become a mining engineer, but but you really would would see a different subject that that is is one, right? Very fun. It's 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 very meaningful. That's one I think that's gonna provide you the fastest and most sort of a meaningful way to decarbonize, I guess, right? So if, you, if you're passionate about solving the, the climate crisis, in my opinion, this is the best way to do it because this is an environment that's thriving and growing, you know, exponentially. And, and, and you can, you know, not only graduate from one of these mining schools and get a very, very high paying job, you know, you can quickly, you know, go up the ranks and, 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 and you know, be in a position to, to impact hundreds of millions of you know people's lives just because of what you do and in a daily basis. And maybe last thing I would you know also encourage people to do is just find your icky guide. Right? I know many of the listeners of this po- podcast probably already thinking about or are or, or probably already right bullish on addressing the climate crisis and hopefully now realize that this metals transition is just as important, right? And if they want to you know put their analytical and technical skill set you know to this good use find your icky guy right find your purpose i guess right and then maybe maybe this is an environment that achieves you know all of that it certainly does for me when me and my business partner Bachi Meg and i were thinking about starting this this firm two and a half years ago we actually sat down and did this exercise said right okay we're passionate about solving climate change the world needs this problem to be solved it's a very you know existential crisis type of issue that that we all need to tackle and and we have some skill set that we think we can put to this to to the to the you know 
to good use and and hopefully you know we can actually make a living out of it and and sort of thinking about it in that frame take a guy frame it, it became quite clear that we had to do something and, and this was the form i love it and i think this is exactly what people need to hear to learn about and see the value of the mining industry in the decarbonization of the economy and so i definitely really really appreciate you giving us this amazing advice on impacting based on finding your purpose. Hopefully the purpose can be in the mining industries. You never know. We might convince people here to, to join the mining industry. I care about right making a good living by having a job that, you know, pays well. I think this is actually one of the highest paid mining engineer, right? It's one of the highest paid jobs out of school, right? Mm -hmm. I remember, I mean, like I was telling you, right? It's 12 of us who graduated. I think there were like 30 some open positions available to us. Like it was incredible, right? Like typically it's the other way around, right? Like you actually have to go chase companies and then apply for jobs the other way around. Like those recruiters were, were basically <laughs> targeting the 12 students who were graduating that year, right? And, and and many of us had, you know, two, three, some people haven't had four or five job offers, right? Competing mm -hmm. to hire that that one student who just graduated. So, so I think, I think it's, it's, it's really different. There's so much demand that, that, that I think it's a really good environment or a good subject to, to study if you're, if you're passionate about solving climate change. One last thing I want to ask you, do you have any advice for entrepreneurs working in the mining industry? I think you have a lot of advice. But in your opinion, what is the most important, what is the most impactful advice that you would give to an entrepreneur in this environment right now? Yeah, maybe one thing that I will say, I mean, there's so many, but one thing that people often get tripped up and get discouraged the most is, is, is this industry is not used to this rapid change, right? It's a bit fearful of this disruption that's happening. And then they tend to move very slowly. You know, they're very bureaucratic in nature. There's a lot of red tape. For good reasons, but most of them are, in my opinion, can be <laughs> resolved. And and that discourages people, right? Because if you have an awesome technology and you're trying to test it, you're trying to pilot it at some real mine site and see if it works, right? Just that engagement can take, you know, months to get, you know, people to to, to respond and 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 buy into what you're doing and then potentially even giving you an opportunity to to pilot it. And that process could end up being a year or two, right? And 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 a lot of people will run out of money. A lot of people will run out of motivation, and and they'll they'll quit. And and that's not helpful from the mining industry, right? If we're trying to reinvent ourselves and and help ourselves, we need to be more um, willing to to work with those folks who are trying to solve our problems, right? They're not creating new sets of problems. They're, they're simply trying to help us. So I think understanding that and and then having that long-term view and a bit of a patience. And when you raise money, right, make sure your investors understand that this sector will have a bit of a, a long sales cycle, right? And your revenues will be very choppy, right? You're not going to have this like a, a software <laughs> product where you're charging on a monthly basis, right? Your revenues might be very chunky. You know, one, one quarter, you might get a huge lump sum payment and you may not have anything for the next quarter right so so just understanding the the differences and 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 its own sort of a nuanced environment and being ready for it mentally and preparing such that that you can actually you know really go through the in my opinion the, the, the mining values values of death right <laughs> 
you'll, you'll come out stronger, I think. And I think there are some really interesting examples of those kinds of companies who have been patient and, and they actually raise money from those groups, endowments and foundations who have a very long-term view, but happy with, you know, providing support early on, you know, through grants and, and, and such to, to, to really support these companies. So maybe that's one thing that, I, that I'll say is, is, you know, be patient and, and you know, temper your expectations. And that concludes our episode on mining critical minerals needed in the transition to a low carbon economy. Thank you so much, Tam, for sharing your expertise and for the interesting discussion we had today. I'm sure our listeners enjoyed this nugget-filled episode just as much as I did. And for our listeners, if you have any suggestions on ways to improve episodes or questions about the discussed topics, drop me a note on the email linked in the description below. Until next time.